hard to believe it was 15 years ago. Um, the, the memories are burned into our, our brains so much that boy, 15 years seems like such a long time to have passed since we watched this tragedy unfold. Uh, a terrorist attack that, I don't mean to speak for, for you, but I think for most of us, we had no thought that something like that would happen here, that it would happen inside of the United States, maybe in a movie, maybe on a, a novel, but not really happen. Real people, real planes, real buildings. I, I, 20 years ago or so, I, I read a lot of Tom Clancy's novels, and I remember reading Some of All Fears probably 20 years ago, and uh, I, I got Towards the end, and Clancy's novels were like eight or 900 pages, and the first 500 pages were introduction. It was all just, he was setting up the whole thing, and then the last 300 was the actual, actual story. And I was reading Some of All Fears. I think they turned it into a movie, uh, 2001 or something like that. But I, I'm getting close to the end of, of Some of All Fears, and, and sort of the big, the big moment was terror, terrorists set off a bomb at the Super Bowl. Like thousands of people died. I got to that moment. I'm invested in this novel, novel 20 years ago. And I've kept up with all the details. And I think, you have got to be kidding me. Like, is this the extremes that Clancy is going to now? That he would put the Super Bowl getting blown up by two? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And 15 years later, none of us think it's a dumb thing. None of us think that it's out of the realm of possibilities. As a matter of fact, most of us, whenever we go to some public event, some large event, at least somewhere in the back of our brain, in the back of our mind, there is that thought that could happen. I mean, we see it on a regular basis around the world. Maybe not so much here anymore, but around the world. We see these massive events and attacks continuing to happen. Not None of us think it couldn't happen anymore. Fifteen years ago, you can do the math. I mean, you have to be 20, 21, 22 to actually have a memory of that day. And if you're, if you're 16, 17, 19, 20, you, you've seen videos, right? You've seen newscasts and you've heard people talk about it. You've seen the memorials year after year, but really... Unless you're 20, 21, 22 or older, you, you don't actually remember that day. Your parents remember it. They remember trying to figure out what to tell you and if to tell you and, and how to handle that part of what was happening. We look back and we see how much life has changed because it has. And a lot of subtle ways that we just take for granted now. And we take security checks for granted. Uh, we take metal detectors that's just going to be there. We're grateful for them. Long lines. That's just the way things are now. It didn't used to be that way. Those of us who are older than 21 or 22, we remember. We remember images and where we were. Probably most of all, we remember the feelings of that day. Remember what you, what you were feeling, what you were thinking. Remember the grief. 
the, the grief at seeing faces, the, the, the grief of thinking about the ones who have been lost, the, the grief in realizing that we would never be the same. Life would never be the same. Our country would never be the same. And not just grief, but let's be honest, fear. Fear of what would happen next, where the next one would take place. If you remember in the early hours, we knew that planes had hit the World Trade Center. We knew that a plane had hit the Pentagon. We we knew there was another plane unaccounted for in the skies somewhere and that fighter jets had been launched to track it down. Possibly it was heading toward the capital. And I think for most of us, there was the thought of what else has been planned? What else is going to happen? And how do I protect the people that I care about? It was a, it was a fearful day. It was a, a frightening day. And then the stories start to emerge. Pictures of, of faces and beginning with the stories of those who were on the flights. And then the pictures of those walking through the streets of New York covered in debris. Mounds of rubble. First responders raising a flag. And then the pictures of people unaccounted for. Remember that scene? You remember in New York how there was just walls of pictures, family members shocked and stunned walking through the street holding pictures of their loved ones, trying to find somebody who had seen this person, going from hospital to hospital, hoping that their loved one had been injured and just wasn't able to contact them and that they would come home. Picture after picture, after video, after video. and You know what we saw that day 15 years ago? We didn't see Republicans and Democrats that day when we looked at those pictures. We didn't see liberals and conservatives and progressives. We really didn't see race or ethnicity or what language somebody spoke. We didn't see pro this and anti that. Fifteen years ago today, we saw people. We saw people that our heart went out to. Because all of us sitting there watching, we, we put ourselves in their place. We empathized. We thought, what if I was expecting my loved one to come home today and they didn't? And I don't, I don't know where they are. What if I were there? What if that was my dad, my mom, my spouse, my son, my daughter, my friend, my loved one? We saw, we saw people that day. And labels and categories melted away. It just didn't matter. Instead, we saw people. It would only last for a short while. Because very quickly, we would go back to arguing about wars, about whose fault it was. We would create Bizarre stories about what really happened and who was really responsible. We would point fingers. We would call each other names. It didn't last long, but there was a moment 15 years ago. We were all just people. The united part of the United States of America meant something 15 years ago today. It meant something. We were people who empathized with others. 
people who wanted to find some way to encourage first responders and policemen and firemen and EMTs, want to find some way to let them know we loved them and we, we, we cared about them and we were grateful for the job that they did. We were, we were people 15 years ago. And now 15 years later, <clears throat> we're in the middle of an election, which is not unusual, right? I mean, we, we, we have a presidential election every four years. Some of us have lived through many of these. But there's something about the tone and the temperature of this election that's different. One of the greatest things about our country, the principles upon which it was founded, is this idea that we would get to select our own leaders and that our leaders would come from among us. They wouldn't descend in a a kingly ancestry and take the throne. They wouldn't be from one particular family and then that person's son and that person's grandson or whatever. There would be this ancestral order and they would assume leadership. Our country was founded on the idea that we would select our leaders from among us. They would be one of us. And at least theoretically, we could choose anybody we wanted from among us. But that beautiful idea, that democratic process over the years, has become the worst six to 12 months that some of us experience over a four-year cycle. Because it is full of name-calling and yard signs and robocalls and debates and endless media coverage. And back in the good old days, that was the worst of it. Now there's social media. So now, your feed and my feed is full of tirades and arguments and memes and videos and bizarre suppositions about weird conspiracy theories that have to be true because they're on Facebook. (laughs) Some of us look at this time every four years and we think, I just want it to be over. I, I just want it to be done. Some of us have found out, probably most of us, that if we swerve even close to an election theme in one of our posts, we set ourselves up for an endless tirade from all streams that will go on for days and days and days in the comment section of our social media. And yet, we're people of faith. We're people who claim to believe in a sovereign God who is fully in control of all things, who expressed His love for us by sending His Son Jesus into the world, and that will, and and who will at some point make all things right. We believe in this God. We believe in a God who is sovereignly in control. Control and is not in heaven right now, wringing his hands, wondering who the next president of the United States is going to be. We believe he can be trusted. We believe he is loving and gracious and will bring all things to their rightful end. And yet, we live in the middle of the 2016 election. It's what led Martin Luther to write about the two kingdoms. 
building off some ideas from Augustine. Luther and others developed this idea that as believers, we really live in two worlds. We live in a kingdom where God is reigning and everything happens according to His desires, ultimately. And yet, we're also living in a kingdom in this world where not everyone obeys God. And not everything is specifically what God would want to happen. And we feel that tension. Or you should feel that tension if you are a follower of Jesus. So we're going to talk about this. Now, let me say honestly. I have never taught a series like this before, ever. And I may never again after this is done. It's, I'm still not sure how this is going to go. Um, but we felt like... Boy, there's so much conversation, there's so much attention this election season, we can't just pretend like it's not happening. We can't just cross our fingers and hope nobody asks us any questions about it. Now maybe, maybe we need to address some things from the Bible and from a spiritual perspective. Now, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, and some of you are relieved at that and some of you are already mad that I'm not going to do that, right? Let me just go ahead and say, if I do this well, I'm probably going to make all of you mad at some point over the next three weeks. So if it doesn't happen today, come back next week, give me another shot, all right? I'm going to make you mad probably, but I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who not to vote for, and this is where the first group gets mad right here. I'm not even going to tell you that you have to vote. I'm just going to talk to you about some principles that, although you may disagree with at first, although they make you, may make you mad a little bit at first, you, although you may want to argue with them a little bit at first, I think if you think about them, they're, they're true. There's, there's truth in the things that I am going to say. But it's not my place to tell you who to vote for or who not to vote for. That's not why I'm here. And it, laying my cards on the table, being honest, as of today, September 11th, 2016, I don't even know who I'm going to vote for. I've never been in that situation this close to the election, but I figured there's a lot that can happen over the next couple of months, and I'm still praying. By the way, this is not an invitation for you to catch me in the lobby and try to convince me that your person's the right person. All right? I'm a grown adult. I can figure it out by November. But I'll be honest. I'm not real sure what I'm going to do come November 8th. So how do we start this conversation? Well, I want to start it with just this simple idea that I began the message with. This simple idea that as we did 15 years ago, in this election cycle, maybe the most important thing we need to do is see people as people. I told you a few weeks ago that our brain is constantly looking for shortcuts. It's constantly trying to shift things into automatic pilot. I, I gave you, if you weren't here, I used the example that when you get up in the morning, you probably follow the exact same routine as far as like when you brush your teeth and when you shower and when you, how you get dressed. You probably put your right foot on before your left foot or your left foot before your, yes, you don't put your foot on, do you? You put your right shoe on and then your left shoe on. You probably do it the same way. You don't ever think about it. That's, the brain just shifts things into automatic pilot, so you don't have to think about it. One of the ways that we do this is with labels and categories because it makes it so 
easy to put a label on a person and think that we know everything about them. To categorize some people as this means, oh, yeah, I know all about, I either like you or I don't like, like you because you're a this. And this happens so often in election seasons. For example, in this election season, people are conservative and liberal, socialist, communist, alt-right, right-wing, right-wing wacko, left-wing wacko, extremist, ideologue, radical, bigot, racist, obstructionist, zealot, and there are far worse names that are being thrown around. Because it's easy to put people in categories and to label them and to dismiss them. And I understand, labels can be helpful. I mean, labels do say a lot with a little if they're accurate. It's just that in election season, I've found people aren't really concerned about accuracy. They're concerned about winning and demeaning the other person. So we categorize, we label, and let's be honest, this sort of labeling at its root is driven by fear. I want to make you afraid of the person I don't like, so I'm going to call them this. I want to make you afraid of what the person I don't like could do, and so I'm going to call them this. Even the candidates themselves, if you're paying attention. Like I have never experienced before in my life. I I know that when you dig back in history, there's some pretty ruthless elections. There's a pretty mean-spirited name-calling, mudslinging way back in the history of our country. But as far as the elections that I remember... I don't remember the candidates themselves speaking in such demeaning ways about other candidates like we're seeing today. So don't take your cues from them. Don't listen to what they do. Because the Bible has quite a lot to say about the language that we use. The Bible has quite a lot to say about how we speak to one another, and whether that language is encouraging and uplifting or destructive. And the Bible certainly has a lot to say about truth. It's one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You should not intentionally speak things that are false about somebody else, even a candidate for the presidency of the United States. Uh, When Moses jotted down Exodus, there was no social media, but I think that also includes what I post and what I share and what I repost from other sources that may or may not be true, that may indeed be inflammatory. It matters what we say. It matters how we speak. It matters whether we're truthful and gracious to other people. See, here's... Here's my overarching concern with this election. My my overarching concern, and yes, I'm concerned about who the next president is, and you should be too. Yes, I'm concerned about the consequences of whoever assumes the presidency in 2017. I'm concerned about that, but I have an overarching concern much higher than that one. I, I am concerned that in this process... People who name the name of Jesus are reflecting the kingdom of God in a negative way in their speech. 
I am concerned that those of us who claim to follow a sovereign God are being just as hostile, just as careless with the truth, just as hateful and vindictive of those who don't name the name of Jesus. See, my concern is not November 8th. My concern is November 9th. My concern is that we wake up on November 9th and the people of God have allowed an election to tarnish their ability to be salt and light in the world that they live in. That's my concern. Maybe maybe it's not your concern. It's my concern. You see, in this process, we have to figure out. Is the priority politics over people or is the priority people over politics? On November 9th, we'll be proud of. Will, will, Will we be able to defend prioritizing our politics over people? Or is it easier to defend that we prioritized people over politics? I am not saying that you shouldn't have a position. I have positions on issues. I am not saying that you shouldn't share those. I'm not even saying you shouldn't post those. I'm saying the rhetoric, the tone that we are using as believers needs to reflect people who have been changed by God. People whose worldview, whose perspective, whose heart has been shaped by a loving, gracious God. Here's some examples. The candidate that you most disagree with is still a person. He or she is still a human being created in the image of God who needs Jesus and needs life change and needs to spend eternity with God someday. The candidate you most disagree with is still a person. Think of it this way. There is a difference between disagreeing with a candidate's positions, questioning their factual track record, and noting their inconsistencies. There's a difference between that and calling them names, personally attacking them, or perpetuating misleading or outlandish claims about them. There's a difference in those two. There's a difference in having a reasoned position and name-calling. There's a difference in having a biblical position on a particular issue and reposting some story that cannot possibly be true about the other candidate. There's a difference. We are salt and light in this world, and we dare not sacrifice that for the sake of one election. Another thing to keep in mind, There are no flawless candidates, nor have there ever been. We could argue where uh, we we could argue whether or not this year's choices are the most flawed or not. Granted, we could argue about it. Can I tell you something? All the candidates have been flawed since the beginning of time. Because all of the candidates are imperfect humans, and we are imperfect humans. And sometimes I think if we could just accept 
my person is flawed too, maybe that would help our tone a little bit. I disagree with the other person, but my candidate's pretty flawed as well. And I'm going to pray that God helps my candidate with those flaws. There seems to be this desire to paint my candidate as the perfect solution and the other candidate as the devil. Maybe just an acceptance that, you know what? They're all flawed. Another suggestion. The friend, co-worker, family member, acquaintance that you most disagree with politically is still a person. They're still a person. Not saying you can't have a position. Not saying you shouldn't share your position. Not saying you shouldn't get into even-tempered discussions about issues that matter for our country. What I'm saying is, the person who disagrees with you is still a person created in the image of God, going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. They're still a person. Another chance to make some people mad? The person who out of their own principles is choosing not to vote in this election is still a person who will spend eternity somewhere, whose life will be changed by Jesus or not changed by Jesus. And the fact that out of their own conscience, out of their own set of principles, they do not feel like they can support a particular candidate in this election does not make them less of a person. It may mean that you disagree with them, and that's fine. It may mean that you have reasons why you think they should make a different choice, and that's fine. But they're still a person made in the image of God with a soul who will spend eternity in heaven or hell. And people should be prioritized above politics. See, what I'm saying is we've all got to choose a priority in this election. I was reading this week. The word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. And for 500 years, it was singular. One priority. For 500 years, there wasn't the concept of priorities. Multiple. Which, when you think about it, priorities is an oxymoron. I mean, there's only one thing that can be number one. There's only one thing that can be top above everything else. There is only one priority. And while there may be many important things to this election, as followers of Jesus, we need to get clarity on what the priority is. And the priority for believers doesn't change. Election season or not election season. The priority for believers is to bring glory to God and introduce people to the saving grace that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the priority right there. Number one My question is, will our behavior, will our rhetoric, will our name-calling, where our tendency to perpetuate fanciful, bizarre stories about the other candidate, will it help us fulfill that priority? I doubt it. I don't know what your relationships are like. I don't know your friendships, your family members, your co-workers, your neighbors... For me, there are a lot of people that I know from different avenues, different life experiences, a lot of people that I have a connection with who right now, best I can tell, 
don't follow Jesus, not going to heaven. And they have a different political position than I do. I don't want to do anything over the next two, three months that's going to make it harder for me to share Jesus with them no matter who they vote for. Because what I want most for them is to spend eternity with the God that created them. And I don't want to build walls between me and them over an election. That's just me. That's the grid. Listen, there have been many times I've wanted to post something about this election. Right? It's just way too easy. I've had sarcastic comments. You follow me on social media. You know I'm like it was right. It was so good. It was so good. And then a name of a person came to my mind. The face of a person that I love. That I want to see come to Jesus. That I want opportunities to share my faith with. And I said, it's not worth it. A hundred likes on Facebook's not worth sacrificing an opportunity I may have to share my faith with. That's not worth it. And I erased it because I typed it out. It was so good. It was like, mm, that's a good one. What's the priority? I mean, November 9th, you wake up. What's, what's the priority? And I know there are really big, I'm not minimizing the weight. Of this decision. I just think. We used to see people. I'm not sure we do anymore. See when I read the gospel. When I look at Jesus. Here's what I see Jesus doing. I see Jesus choosing love over labels. I see Jesus kind of blasting through categories of people. And just showing up in somebody's life. There was this group of people. It's hard for us to really relate. They're called the Samaritans. And if you've been in church, you know that name. But you you don't understand the cultural tension between the people that were friends with Jesus and the Samaritans. Cultural, ethnic, social, political, racial. The whole thing. This huge tension between the people that were around Jesus and the Samaritans. I'm reading through the gospel and Jesus keeps talking about Samaritans. He spends a morning talking to a Samaritan woman at a well, and his disciples go in town. They come out and they go, Jesus, why are you talking to her? She's not one of us. She's one of them. Jesus chose love over labels every time. He tells a story. He makes up a story. He's trying to make a point about caring for people. And he makes the Samaritan the hero. We call it the Good Samaritan. Doesn't mean anything to us. We think the Good Samaritan is like this great title. People around Jesus didn't think it was that great a story. It's like speaking to a room full of Republicans and making the Democrat the hero. Speaking to a room full of Democrats and making the Republican the hero. Jesus always chose love over labels. Now, now Jesus dealt with hard issues. He dealt with sin. He, He called people to new life, to change behavior. He did all of that. He just didn't let labels get in his way of showing love. You see, I'm pretty sure that if I can get people to Jesus, if their politics need to be fixed, he can handle that. 
Man, he fixed their politics somewhere down the road. What I want is their heart to get changed for him and them spend eternity in heaven. I want them to meet the Jesus that I know. Another thing about Jesus, he chose people over politics every time. Every time he had the opportunity to insert himself in some political discussion or debate, he chose people. I don't know what your, your beef is with the government. We've all got some kind of deal we're not real happy about. I don't know if they, you think they tax too much or they tax too little or uh, they're too involved in your life or they're not involved in your life enough or they don't give you enough stuff. or what. I don't know what your beef is. We've all got them. It does not compare. It does not compare to the oppression that the people during Jesus' times felt by the Romans who were their government. And they didn't get to vote for them. Okay, they, they, they lived under an oppressive, corrupt, evil ruler. And one day Jesus is out and he says, Hey, the guy that collects taxes for them, I want you to be one of my guys. I want you to, I want you to come be part of my disciples. And he goes to his house and he goes to a party and he meets all of his tax collector friends. Because Jesus chose people over politics every time. A Roman soldier comes to him and says, Look, I've got a servant, and he's sick, and, and I don't know if you can do anything, but if you can heal my servant, I need you to heal him. Jesus didn't go, whoa, 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 buddy, you're Roman. You're Green Party. Mm-mm. I don't heal people in the Green Party. You Democrat? Mm-mm. Jesus didn't try to fix his politics. He cared about the hurt that was in his life. Jesus chose people over politics every time. And we got a few more months. We got a lot of social media and a lot of debates and a lot of news coverage. And I'm not telling you not to have a position. I'm not telling you not to state your position. I'm not telling you not in the right way to post your position. I'm saying there was a window of time 15 years ago, when we saw people as people. And I think there are a few things that would fix our country faster than if we saw them as people again today. Let's pray. God, anyone who's tuned in to this election is struggling has some tension. They're riled up about some things. We all are. We're worried about some issues. We're worried about consequences. We're worried about our country turning farther away from you. But in our worry, perhaps even fear, let us not forget that we are salt and light. Let us not forget that you are ruling and reigning and this election does not change that. Help us to choose people over politics for the next two and a half months. Help us to love people. Yes, to encourage people towards your word and towards truth. But to do it in such a way that shows dignity for the other person. Pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.